you cruising through life not always knowing what direction you were headed? Let Live On Purpose with Dr. Paul Jenkins be your guide. Live On Purpose will give you insights into your life and show you how you can become the driver and captain of it. No more aimless wandering. By learning the principles that govern happiness and wealth, you will be able to make personal progress that you have only dreamed possible. And now, here's your host, the shrink who expands your life, Dr. Paul. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life, bringing you another episode of Live on Purpose Radio. I am excited to talk about some principles today that link into various aspects of your life, some things that you may not have anticipated in the past. But there are some neat connections that happen when you start to turn your brain on and understand how these principles come together. And I have a friend with me in studio today. His name is Patrick Donahoe. Say hello, Patrick. Hey, Paul. Hi, guys. Glad to have you here. Thank you. It's good to be here. You know what? For a long time, you and I were just voices to each other. (laughs) Isn't that true? Yeah. Uh, We've both done some radio work in the past, and I don't know why we fell into this. Who knows? (laughs) But for whatever reason... We're on the, and I'd heard you on the radio a number of times. You'd mm-hmm. heard me on the radio. And mm-hmm. and then we finally decided, well, you know what? We ought to really get linked up. And so we had lunch together, oh, about a month or so ago. Mm-hmm. And triggered some discussions that, that helped me to see that you and I are on the same page with a lot of things. Now, you're in a totally different industry than I am. Yep. And uh, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about what you do, what... Uh, Sure. Kind so, of stuff you're involved with. Let me give just a, maybe just a brief background. I moved to, to Utah uh, almost six years ago from Connecticut and okay. came out here to, to go to the U and graduated. Well, so I'm, in, I'm not in U territory. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For you BYU fans. This is a podcast, Patrick. Oh, yeah, that's right. We've got that's listeners right. all over the world. <laughs> Well, they don't know the but, feud, but it's a feud. Well, but. for and for those of you who are familiar with uh, with the lay of the land in Utah, <laughs> there's this big rivalry going on between the University of Utah and Brigham Young University. I am personally a graduate of Brigham Young University, so we might claw I, each other. I wear during a blue the radio occasion. show, but you know what? I also attended the University of Utah. That you might not want to disclose and that. I home. own a red sweatshirt, oh, man. so I think we're good. Okay. Well, anyway, so I so I graduated from the U uh, about about three years ago. Uh, with a degree in economics, and uh, and at the time I was playing for their uh, their club hockey team, and I didn't really have any friends out here. Um, I had some some buddies, and, and my brother was actually at BYU, so I had some family out here. Um, but I made some friends on my hockey team, and one mm-hmm. of which I uh, became really good friends with, and he at the time owned a, a mortgage company. Um, so I joined forces with him. I, at the time, I didn't have a job, uh, and so that's how I kind of made my entrance into the financial services world. And so it went, okay. it went pretty well. You know, it, it was only about you know six people in the in the mortgage shop, and then it grew significantly. Uh, you can imagine what the mortgage industry did, you know, three three and four years ago. Um, mm-hmm. Not what it's doing right now. It's imploding right now. It seems right. like. So I got I got into that, and uh, you know, I, I really didn't have a background in sales. I didn't really have a background in anything. I knew math. I was I was pretty good at math. I had a degree in economics, so I understood the economy and money to an extent. Uh, but the mortgage industry really opened me up to uh, how banks work. And uh, so we've kind of evolved as a company, and uh, I'm partnering in the company now, and the the company's called the Investors Paradigm. Okay. Um, so you know, obviously, there's some there's some uh, theory to that title as well as the business name. Uh, but mm-hmm. our main focus is uh, is educating people, and mm-hmm. you know, financial services and money is very broad, and sometimes mm-hmm. it's really frustrating, really annoying because we don't want money to be a part of our lives, but uh, you know, it is, and and you know, most people have to wake up to that mm-hmm. reality. So today, you know, our uh, we're an educational company, and uh, we focus okay. on principles of finance and money, and uh, and teach people. This is what was really clicking with me as you and I had lunch and we started to talk together. And I've been familiar with some of your business partners and other people that I've associated with Mm -hmm. in the past. But uh, the whole idea of paradigm is something that I'm always harping on on this show. My listeners know that. Uh, Your mindset makes all the difference. And so as you and I were talking and uh, talking about the paradigm that goes with it, Mm -hmm. here's one of the 
Well, and this will lead right into our discussion here today, Patrick, because I think that there's a lot of people in this world who really believe very strongly that money is going to solve their problem. And some of you listeners may be thinking that, and I have to acknowledge there are times when I think that. Why is that the case, you know, that we have given money so much power in our life and we think that it's going to be the solution to our problems? Yep. You've encountered this in your, Abs- in your business. A- absolutely, because everybody, everybody has a paradigm in regards to everything. <laughs> I mean, we all, we all view right. the world and certain topics, certain industries, certain things uh, different ways, right? And it's, and it's all based on uh, how we've been conditioned, right? So it's the same thing with money. Uh, typically, mm-hmm. the biggest influence that you have with money is unfortunately not school systems. Right mm-hmm. in the school system, I didn't learn anything about credit, about loans, about banking, about mortgages, about real estate, about mm-hmm. money. I, I might have learned how to you know balance a checkbook, but that might have been the extent of right. it. So you know the biggest influence of our money typically comes from our parents, right? Mm-hmm. And you look at yeah, um, that's true. you know you look at parents and my parents in particular, and uh, you know they're baby boomers, and their parents mm-hmm. uh, experienced the Great Depression, right. and you can imagine what that you know mindset. Uh, was and how it was passed on to my parents and thus mm-hmm. my parents passed it on to me right so mm-hmm. i think that you know everybody else has experienced that now uh, you know some people might have different influences whether it's the media whether it's books that they read or whether it's professors or what we all have mm-hmm. a paradigm when it comes to money period that's right well you said that we have a paradigm around everything e- everything yeah and, and that's true your perception of the world is your paradigm yep and there's there's some tricky things about paradigm because it has to do with some fairly deep-seated beliefs. And these beliefs operate in the background. It's sort of the template behind everything that you're aware of. So you may not even be aware (laughs) of what your beliefs are that are having a daily and profound impact on your behavior and on your interactions and on your relationships, everything. Now, when you were talking about having a paradigm with everything, there, there are certain things that are more emotional than others. And Money oftentimes is very a very emotional thing. I mean, if you look at some of the you know social catastrophes that happen because of money, and it's not because of the abundance of money, it's because of the scarcity of money. I mean, you can link money to murder, you can link money to suicide, you can link money to divorce. You can, I mean, you can link money to all these catastrophes, mm-hmm. right? And so there's a lot of emotion when it comes to money. So as you're saying that there are these deep seated beliefs, it is very deep with money because there's so much emotion attached to it. Why do you think that is? I mean, it, it's just false perceptions about what money is. And people, it's mainly out of fear, right? It's fear mm-hmm. that I don't have money, therefore I won't be able to live or survive. That's right. Yeah. And so, it, so we give money this power over our life and over our emotional experience that it doesn't, it doesn't by its nature have that power. We give it, we give it the power. that power. And that's the power of a paradigm. So you might think that money is the cause of your problems, or more commonly, the lack of money or the scarcity of money is the cause of my problems right now. And then logically, it makes sense that money would be the solution to my (laughs) problems too. Yep. Right? Absolutely. So this kind of thinking is very common. It's something that I do. It's something that you do. It's something everybody does at some level. What would be your first recommendation to someone Who's out there thinking, well, money, if I just had more money, it would solve this problem. Well, I think Oprah put, I don't know why this quote comes to mind, Oprah of all people. Mm. I'm not even sure where I read it. But Oprah said that the reason why she has so much money is because she doesn't focus on money. So Interesting. Yeah. So that that comes to the definition of money. Um, I would reference, you know, Atlas Shrugged. And in Atlas Shrugged, mm-hmm. you know, Francisco Danconia, which is one of the main characters, had this amazing, you know, speech at a, at a wedding party. That's and true. I would encourage, I mean, you could go on to the Google and just type in Francisco's money speech, Atlas Shrugged. And it's a great, and great speech it. on it. So mm-hmm. money, you know, money is basically, uh, you know, it's, it's a medium of exchange, right? And people exchange money for things that they value more than money. So money becomes a receipt of value. But most people... That's pe- right. Okay. So it's... It, and then money, so money comes about after something, mm-hmm. you know, but we never focus on the cause. We always focus on the effect. Well, people think that they want money when the first thing that they do with the money is go trade it for something they really want. Yeah. 
You know what I'm saying? That's yeah. its only utility, really. Sure. Its only real utility is in exchange. Mm-hmm. And so it's a marker for something. That's an important point, Patrick, because it symbolizes or represents something. Yep. Something that we value inherently. Mm-hmm. We don't value money. There's not even very many uses for money unless you know you run out of toilet paper or something. Yeah. <laughs> as far as a direct use, you know. Sure. Except to exchange it. It's just paper, pulp, and ink. So, so it represents. The value that is created first. First. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. It's either already been created or it's been promised. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole other discussion, I think. Yeah. I mean, this is such a broad topic. You can talk for days on this. Mm -hmm. But I think that the core is really understanding the root of money and then associating it to value. And then instead of your focus being, I need more money, it should be focused on how can I create more value. More value. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Francisco said this in his speech, and in fact, this is one of the opening. Look at you bringing up arguments. everything. Online. <laughs> well, awesome. I don't have it in front of me. At <laughs> oh, the you don't, like man, you have it memorized. <laughs> but, well, this speech meant a lot to sure, me because sure. he said in the beginning of that speech, he said, "You say that money is the root of all evil, but have you ever asked what is the root of all money?" And we don't stop to ask all of those questions, so we get trapped in this thing that. The money's going to solve the problem for me. I had a good friend who uh, passed away a couple of years ago. I've referenced him before. His name's Les McGuire. And he compared it, he compared money to copper wire. And you don't go around stockpiling copper wire because you want a lot of energy. The (laughs) copper wire merely carries the energy, it provides a vehicle for it. And in the same way, money provides a vehicle for carrying value, for transporting it, for exchanging it, hmm. for bestowing it upon someone. I've never heard that before. That's a cool That's a cool analogy. Well, how, how much good is copper wire to you? Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> Unless you're going to use it to carry value. Yep. And in the same way, what good is it going to do to stockpile the money? I, I don't know if you've ever done any... Um, I think you and I may have talked about this, actually, Patrick. I forget who I've talked to about what, <laughs> but about lottery winners. I think we did, yeah. And and what happens to them? Yeah. Well, they didn't earn any of that money. They got lucky, right. right? And because they didn't earn it, they squander it, and it's all... They squander it in the beginning, and then they spend it all. So. Well, and first of all, they obtained it by gambling, Yeah. right? Yeah. So uh, actually, if you increase the amount of money that you have, the first thing that's going to happen is it's going to magnify whatever it is you've already got going. Yep. And if you've got some, some not-so-productive stuff going on in your thinking or in your business or in your life, adding money to it is just going to magnify the problem. So you agree with that? Yes. Ditto, ditto, ditto. Okay. (laughs) We got a little bit of excitement and passion fired up here on the Live on Purpose Radio Show. We'll be right back. Thank you for joining me for the Live on Purpose Radio Podcast. It is truly an honor to be a part of your prosperity team. Please visit my website drpaul.org to get connected with other tools for you and your family. There you will find links to my weekly e-zine Empower, Harnessing the Power of the Mind, and to the free Parental Power Teleconference that I host every week with my wife Vicki. You can also check out upcoming events or pick up powerful information products. Feel free to contact me directly with questions, comments, or to book me for your company or private event email me through Dr. Paul at liveonpurposeradio.com. This is Kirk Weasler to tell you about morebetterbooks.com. Morebetterbooks.com is where you can find more better books for a more better life. Not only that, let me tell you about some of the very fun and cool select titles on morebetterbooks.com. You'll want to get a copy of The Dog Poop Initiative. This best-smelling book could change your life Forever, It certainly changed the lives of thousands of Boeing employees, as well as school teachers, parents, leaders across the United States and in Israel and in Germany. And you can get your own copy at morebetterbooks.com. Whoa, that's not all. What about The Cookie Thief? This classic tale told in a rhyming format, fully illustrated with very fun hidden messages. Pick up a copy now today on morebetterbooks.com. 
Other great titles there, Finding Your Pathway to Mastery, Beyond Illusions, Make It Great. These titles are only available on morebetterbooks.com. Go to morebetterbooks.com today and begin to have a more better life and live that life on purpose. And when you dream, dream big, as big as the ocean. Okay, an interesting thing happens when you get people in the same room who are feeling some passion about various topics. And you know what, Patrick? I was thinking about this during the break. I I think I feel so much passion about this because my whole mission here is to liberate people. And there are a few things in this world that I see that they allow to hold them captive as much as money. It just, and it symbolizes everything that, that to me represents a deception. There are people, maybe within the sound of my voice right now, there are people who believe that a certain sum of money is worth more than their life. And we could talk about life insurance yeah. a little <laughs> later on if you want to, okay. but what a deception that is. And how, how people get stuck stuck there and they think the money's going to solve the problem it's not the money that's going to solve the problem Mm-mm. it's the people who are going to solve the problem it's the human life value it's your ability to create value in the lives of other people well the thing that i've seen and you know i'm i'm younger and i think that you know after after world war 2 and after you know the, all the soldiers came home and started to have a lot of you know babies uh, and the baby boomer, boomer generation was formed um, you know, I, I think people were really, they bought into this whole idea of being an employee. I think, mm-hmm. I think human beings, I mean, we're amazing creatures, amazing oh. creatures. And I think that everybody has an entrepreneurial spirit. They have the ability to create a business or have an idea. I mean, here in Utah, it, it's incredible. I mean, the, the amount mm-hmm. of patents that come out of Utah, the amount, amount of business ideas, people are really thinking. Right. Mm-hmm. And look at what creativity is required to think about those business opportunities. Right. But I don't think mm-hmm. people are ever taught, okay, this is how you spark or initiate or influence the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's kind of what we try to do. Right. But that's, it, it's a process. You can't just wake up one morning and say, okay, I'm an entrepreneur. Let's go start businesses. Right. There's definitely a, there's definitely a process because you that. have to completely overhaul your thinking. Absolutely. And replace some of the old programs with some new ones. And your mind, here's the psychology of it too. Your mind is naturally going to resist that change. It wants to hang on to what it chooses to. And it doesn't mean you can't change. But it does mean that it's going to be kind of hard. And it's amazing that that resistance, I mean resistance is always the facilitator of, you know, progress. Mm -hmm. Always. I mean, if we don't have resistance, we're going to be stagnant. That's another, you know, characteristic that some human beings have. I'm not going to say all, right? But when we face adversity, when we face resistance, that's when we really start to, all right, I need to do something. I mean, look at, look mm-hmm. at our country right now. I mean, we're in $8 trillion of debt. Uh, our mm-hmm. deficit is just, it, it's insane. And, you know, people that understand economics understand where, you know, the, the solution for that's going to be. And that's obviously a different discussion, right? Mm-hmm. But right now we're in a bad state and people are looking at the stock market. They're looking at their portfolios and it's, what do I do, right? And so right, right. now is, is, you know, a perfect time to, you know, have the ability to transform your paradigm, right? Start to have that paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. Well, there are, there are examples out there in the world of people... Who understand this? Oh yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. I should have a cough button right here, huh? <laughs> it's a podcast. We can edit that stuff out. But we just run this as if it's a live show. You uh, guys are getting us as perfect. we are. We're not perfect. That's, That's okay. right. <laughs> so the examples. You know, some people believe that that it's just luck, or that there's something that's required that I don't have. Well, the thing that's required, I think, is the knowledge. And there's a lot of examples, but maybe to not personalize it too much, how about institutions? Yeah. Why don't you run with that for a minute? Sure. So, I mean, we have examples of people that have been good stewards over money all around us. I mean, there's examples all around us. They're in people, right? But they're mainly in institutions, which, you know, institutions are um, 
they're just a bunch of people, <laughs> right? But I think the I think the institutions that have been the most successful uh, at managing their money uh, are banks. Now I know you know because of this whole failure. Well, I wouldn't say failure, but more of a recessionary period in our economy. Uh, you know, banks haven't done that you know that well. IndyMac went down. Columbia Bank went down last week. Um, you know, Bear Stearns went down. I mean, a lot of these smaller banks have gone down. So I'm not going to get into why, uh, but you know, just to, to a broad, um, you know, a broad reasoning for that was because of poor diversification. But if you mm-hmm. look at the ballers, if you look at, um, you know, the the Chases, the Wachovias, the Bank of Americas, the Wells Fargo's, these are very large institutions. And if you go on, I mean, most of these, well, all these companies have annual reports, so you can go on and actually see where their assets are. Uh, how they're diversified, where they're investing. So at the Investors Paradigm, we've coined what's called Be the Bank or uh, Become Your Own Banker, right? And it's basically showing people how to put their personal portfolio in a way that it you know, replicates a bank, right? So banks are very strong institutions, you know, the big banks that I'm talking about. And it, it's incredible to see how they manage their money because it's completely opposite to how they teach us to manage our money. So here's... Here's some people or institutions in this case who have it figured out. And so, you know, one of the things that I like to teach is to do more of what works and less of what doesn't. Yeah. That's so profound, right? Yeah. Not really, but it's true. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it works. Oh, yeah. You're right. So so what you're saying is here's, here's these institutions, these banks have figured out what works. Mm -hmm. But then there's a different paradigm that's taught to the public in in general. Yeah. Well, I think, so talk about those two. Sure. Well, I think that the, the first main difference is how banks realize their profits uh, from their investments versus how they teach other individuals to realize their, not to realize their profits. So I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. just talking about um, you know, the Wells Fargo's and the Wachovia's, the Bank of America's. I'm also talking about the Morgan Stanley's. I'm talking about the Merrill Lynch's, the Goldman Sachs. Right, because they structure their investments for the same uh, the same profit structure, or okay. uh, you know when they realize their profit. So if you look at them, all of their uh, instruments, you know whether it's their stocks or their bonds um, or their mutual funds, or if it's a bank, if it's their car loans or their credit cards, they're all structured to pay their profits monthly. Okay, monthly, right? Monthly. Banks receive their profits monthly. Okay, mm-hmm. Merrill Lynch. I mean, I have a, I have a client right now. Funny enough, that uh, that is an advisor with Merrill Lynch, and he's one of their biggest advisors down in Phoenix. And so I I just grilled him <laughs> as far as how he got paid, how Merrill Lynch got paid, how they determined where to put money. I mean, I, I went through, you know, I, I you know, I, I raked him through the the coals. But anyway, so Merrill Lynch advisors Good. they get paid monthly based on how much money they have under management whether it's in qualified plans like a 401k or an IRA, or whether it's just outside of a qualified plan, mutual funds, uh, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So they get paid monthly. So there's, there's the big thing. Banks and financial institutions realize their profits monthly. However, they teach us to invest for the long term, to compound our profits year after year after year. Mm-hmm. And at some future date, you'll be able to access them. So there's, there's some little letters that show up. When you, when you see an ad on, on TV or or a billboard or something, and it's it's advertising a rate that the bank is offering. It's and the letters are APR. Yeah, what does that mean? Annual percentage rate. Annual. Do banks ever think in terms of annual nope. percentages? Nope. That's the T. Te- and we've been we've been yeah. conditioned to. Oh, we need to get the best APR possible. Okay, I, and I, I love to ask, therefore, what? <laughs> so what are you trying to say, Patrick? Well, if you look at, so let's, let's look at a 15-year mortgage versus a 30-year mortgage. So the interest rate in a 15-year mortgage, or the A, the APR, is uh-huh. typically, you know, probably nine times out of 10 uh, smaller than a 30-year mortgage. So why would a bank discount an interest rate or an APR? Well, if you look at how much larger the payment is on a 15-year mortgage versus a 30-year mortgage, you start to you know, understand why banks structure it that way. Okay? Mm. The payment on a 15-year mortgage is a third higher than on a 30-year mortgage. Right? So, right. And that's, that kind of brings me to my next point is how banks compound. Right? If you look at what compound interest is, we're taught to compound our interest on an annual basis. Right? Which okay. you know, I'm not saying it's good or bad. But if you look at what banks do with their profits... They don't spend their profits. They, they obviously have their overhead. They have to pay their employees, mm-hmm. right? But they reinvest those profits. 
and they mm-hmm. reinvest them in new instruments that provide even more monthly cash flow. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you see that trend, mm-hmm. banks invest more in a month or compound more on a monthly basis as opposed to a yearly basis. And they structure all of their instruments to get the highest cash flow possible on a monthly basis. That's right. Okay. I'm and you've got my head swimming just a little bit because <laughs> here you are with a degree in economics and you know well, you're that doesn't say much. But. Well, but here <laughs> I'm just thinking, you know, if 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 people are a little bit like me, they'll hear all of this and they'll think, oh, well, I kind of follow that a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know what kind of brought it home to me mm-hmm. was, uh, I can't, I think it was Garrett White, okay, who is a friend of ours, and, mm-hmm. yep. and he was teaching a, a seminar once that I was in, and I think, I think it was him, uh, that showed a picture of a bank, and there was a door that you could walk through right in the middle. And on one side, in one window, to the left side, let's say, it said um, that they were offering, I think it was 3% or something for CDs. Mm -hmm. Okay, and this is where people come in, they give their money to the bank. And then the bank pays them 3% per year. Year, right. Okay, and then on the other side, the other window, it said... Car loans, only 6.5% per year again, right? Mm -hmm. So essentially, I could walk into this bank with $5,000 or something, Mm -hmm. okay? Hand them my $5,000 and say, please put that in your CD and pay me your 3% per year or whatever they were advertising, Mm -hmm. okay? And they're saying, we'll be happy to do that for you, Dr. Paul. That would be awesome, (laughs) Okay, and we're glad to provide that 3% to you. What a benefit, right? And then I say, oh, and by the way, I'd like to buy a car. Would you lend me some money to buy the car? Oh, sure. They take my same $5,000, give it right back to me, and only charge me (laughs) 6.5% to do that. And I started doing the math, and I'm thinking, hmm, well, this is interesting, right? So they understand something that I didn't at that point. Nope. And I'm just trying to pull this into kind of the reality, the experience that you can have with this. Well, banking banking is extraordinary. I mean, you mm-hmm. can go on, for those that are listening, if you want to learn about banking, just go you know, on YouTube and type in you know, fractional banking or reserve banking or banking. And there's all these cool videos that are out there just, that just show very you know, practically how banks operate. And it's very, it's very enlightening and it fascinates me. Right, because mm-hmm. you know banks are not very open about this. In fact, you know we were just joking at the break that most employees don't even know what's really going on. Right, the tellers mm-hmm. and even right. the managers don't really know what's going on. Right, and so, but obviously the hierarchy and you know the individuals that actually run the bank, um, you know they're uh, they're the ones that really know what's going on, and it's a fascinating system. Mm, that is fascinating. It's got me thinking about some other applications. <laughs> we'll come right back to that in just a few minutes. Thank you for listening to Live On Purpose Radio. Some of you have been asking how you can get more involved with the show. And I also appreciate those of you who have offered to support the show. Now you can do both easily by purchasing a Top Spots listing. For a very small donation to the show, your link will be posted at liveonpurposeradio.com. Just go to the website and look for the Top Spots widget on the right side panel. Click at the bottom and follow the simple instructions. You will then be at the top of the list. Thanks for your support. I've got a great idea. This is Shay Larson, IdeaOrbit.com, with the World of Ideas Report. Have you ever driven by a field full of gigantic windmills used to create energy? Those windmills are large structures and are costly to build. Is it possible that a similar windmill already exists but is not being used for energy? Well, a New York City-based company called Flux Lab discovered an existing field of windmills already installed and ready to create energy. Where are they? 
They are in the very buildings that need the energy. How about the revolving doors located at the entries of business buildings? Have you ever been through one of those revolving doors and thought, that was fun? Well, now they can be more than just fun. They can be the means of providing a large amount of energy. They call it the revolution door. Flux Lab has created a prototype for this idea and will be presenting it next month at a large exhibition. Headed by Jennifer Broughton and Carmel Trudell, Flux Lab is on its way to turning an existing door system into usable energy. Think of those expensive windmills all set up in a field in the middle of nowhere and then think of the thousands of revolving doors located inside each and every city. Congratulations Flux Lab on a revolutionary idea. This is Shay Larson, IdeaOrbit.com with the World of Ideas Report. I've got a great idea Wouldn't you like to know You probably can't bear it So I guess I'll have to share it I thought of it a moment ago Okay, you might be thinking we are just all over the place today at Live On Purpose Radio, but you know what? We've talked about money. We've talked about what it is, what it isn't. It occurs to me that there's there's going to be some kind of a take-home message from all of this, and Patrick, maybe you can help to congeal that for us, just bring it in to, okay, what are we going to do with this? Sure. Well, I mean, it goes back to the, the first point that, that I said, that money is just a part of life. Right, money. You can go live on a farm in the you know southern New Mexico and live off the land. Yeah, you, you could definitely do that and not have to worry about money. Get solar power and get wind power. And you know, I actually know a guy who does that. <laughs> oddly enough, but uh-huh. you, you could do that. Uh-huh. But if you sure. want to live, um, you know, around your family, if you want to enjoy life, uh, you know, in in a city or in a town, which is most of our country these days, um, money is going to be a part of it. Now, there are principles of money. Right, money works, and again, you talk all about principles. Principles are, you know, they're unbreakable. You you can't change them, and there are mm-hmm. principles when it comes to money. Uh, the first takeaway is understanding what those principles are, and mm-hmm. I think that the perfect example of that are the money masters, which are banks. Mm-hmm. They've proven it time and time again. And that's what their business is. Their business is money. Learn about banks. Um, mm-hmm. You know, become educated. I think that's the biggest. Uh, that's the biggest thing. And right now, as I as I mentioned before, mm-hmm. it, it's a very uh, adverse time. I mean, there's some. I I know people who have lost thirty percent of their portfolios in less than a year. I mean, it's it, it's pretty crazy, right? And so people's uh, mm-hmm. retirement could be could be in jeopardy. Um, and so when you're facing those adverse times, uh, know that there are solutions, right? Right. And and that if I understood these principles you you can ask yourself this if i had the same knowledge that they have would i be doing better (laughs) and uh that assumes a lot of things but how are you going to get that knowledge into your head and education is a way that you do that invest in yourself Mm -hmm. and uh well toward the end of the program let's give people some links and some things some books and stuff okay sure that can bring them back to it sure I typically save that for the fourth segment because that's when we're going to remember it the best. That's just so. Anyway. <laughs> you're, you're the psychologist. <laughs> but let's, okay. let's make sure we provide those resources. And I'll put up some links at liveonpurposeradio.com too. Awesome. Awesome. Um, the thing that I think I'd like to get back to next, though, has to do with, with human life value. It's, and, and you know what? You mentioned some things to me in an earlier discussion that uh, about uh, life insurance, for example. Now, mm-hmm. this is another thing that comes up often in discussions about money. Mm-hmm. In fact, when I meet with my financial advisors and the coaches and team that I've put together, they talk about both. They're talking about life insurance. They're talking about money. They're talking about accounts. Mm-hmm. And it almost comes all in the same breath. Why do you think that is? Uh, well, I think that a financial plan requires multiple things. There's not one product that's going to be, uh, you know, the the home run hit, 
right? It's going to always, mm-hmm. you know, there's going to be so many things part of a financial plan, whether it's life insurance, uh, whether it's just money management, whether it's other types of insurance that is just mostly an out-of-pocket expense, like a disability policy or, mm-hmm. you know, a homeowner's insurance policy or an umbrella policy. There's so many different mm-hmm. working parts to a financial plan. And that's where, you know, I think that, you know, the financial services industry is is flawed, is that financial services is just focused on one one segment, like a stockbroker, or one mm-hmm. segment like a, a life insurance agent. And it doesn't mm-hmm. focus on other important parts. Hopefully that was mm-hmm. an answer to your question. <laughs> well, it's definitely integrated in there. But I think that the reason that it is, is an acknowledgement of what we've already talked about a little bit on today's program. Mm-hmm. And that is that it's your human life value mm-hmm. that even gives you the opportunity to go out there and create some value. Absolutely. Yep. And this can be, think about this for a minute. This is fascinating to me. Your life is worth something. Okay, now I say that and most people are like, well, duh, you know, it's worth everything. Mm-hmm. But why is it that the life insurance companies are willing to put a dollar figure on that? Mm-hmm. Now, this is where some people get a little offended. Yeah. Well, my life's worth more than that, yep. right? Well, the greatest, you know, it's said, I think it's Hubner who wrote the economics of life insurance. He yeah, said Saul that, Hubner. Yeah. He, uh, he said that the greatest economic loss is a human life. That's right. And what does that mean? Well, I think a, a, the best way to explain it is what happened with 9-11. So after 9-11, there was a fund set up and money was supposed to be dispersed to the victims of 9-11. Now, mm-hmm. they didn't disperse it equally, which most people thought that they would. They dispersed it according to the human life value of each individual. So they gave the janitor mm-hmm. less than they gave the you know international the executive. The execu- international executive, right? They gave the firefighter maybe less than the you know international banker, right? And what mm-hmm. they did is they assessed the individual's talents, abilities, education, degrees, experience, mm-hmm. and they assessed what loss was going to be incurred because of his you know his death, That's Econ- right. economically. You know, it helps to understand this concept when we understand a basic principle of exchange. So here's, here's the example. If you walk into a grocery store, for example, and you purchase a candy bar, what's the candy bar worth? And, you know, most people are going to say, I don't know, 50 cents, a buck, whatever, yep. right? Yep. Okay, let's just pretend that it's a dollar, that the price tag on that candy bar is a dollar. Mm-hmm. And you go in and you buy it. How much was that candy bar worth to you? you know more the than answer a, yeah, I, I, that's more rhetorical for me. <laughs> now, a lot of people will say, well, it's worth a dollar. Yeah. And that's really close, mm-hmm. but it's inaccurate. Mm-hmm. The right answer is? More than a dollar. It's more than a dollar. How do you know that? Because you wouldn't have exchanged the dollar unless it was worth more. <laughs> right. It's worth more than that to you. Sure. So how much was that same candy bar worth to the clerk or to the store owner? Less than a dollar. Less than a dollar. And then I, I remember hike, when I was a, a, a freshman in college, I hiked the Appalachian Trail for three days with a buddy of mine mm-hmm. and uh, on the East Coast. I would have paid 100 bucks for that candy bar. For that same candy yeah. bar, right. And I Some have, parts of that trail, yeah. And, and I have seen candy bars sold and bought for that price, for $100. Yep. And it's to make this point, sure. basically. But... Okay, it's worth more than that to the buyer. It's worth less than that to the seller. The, the price that you agree on is the only price that you agree that it's not worth. Mm-hmm. It's the point of disagreement, yeah. basically. It's like going to the store. Rick Kerber shared this with me once where you go to the store and you pull a box of cereal and it says five bucks. And you take it up to the clerk and you say, I don't think this is worth five bucks. And the clerk says, I don't either. Great, let's trade. You know, you think it's worth more. He thinks it's worth less. So you can make that exchange. Bargain on the cereal. Yep. So anytime you ask what is something worth, it begs another question. And that is, to whom? Yeah. Right? Yep. Because that's how you make an exchange is between two or more people. Yep. So go back to the life insurance for a minute. The life insurance companies are saying you're Here's the dollar figure that we will value your life. Okay? So how much is your life worth? <laughs> it begs the question, right? Yeah, to whom? To whom? Yeah. Well, how much is it worth to you? Hmm. No. 
It's priceless to you. You're not going to trade it for any amount of money. Well, here's the funny thing. And you know, I know that we can't go get into a lot of this right now, but the biggest asset that banks own is life insurance. Most people don't know that. I was mm. looking at Wachovia's uh, annual report. You can look at it online. And they own $15 billion of cash value, which means they probably have four to $500 billion in death benefit of life insurance. Of life insurance, and they're only on. worth, and they're only worth fifty billion dollars. And you can't buy a life insurance policy on a bank. <laughs> no. So all of these life insurance are policies are tied to people. Yeah, they're tied to the either the employees or sometimes even the people that take out loans from them. So even the even these masterminds of money understand that the most valuable thing in the whole world is not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That is awesome. Yeah. And think about what that means. So here's the life insurance company, and they say, okay, Patrick Donahoe, and I don't know how much your the face value of your policy is. I just got denied because I they wouldn't qualify for me, you know, qualify me for more. So interesting. Okay. <laughs> now, didn't that just offend the heck out of you? Oh yeah, I was. Well, I actually, I'm in negotiations to to get it because they're saying you're not worth that much mm-hmm. to us. Okay, and that's the qualifier right there, to us. It's no longer offensive when you understand that that number is not the value of your life. Your life doesn't have an absolute value Mm -hmm. in any monetary measure. But it's the value of your life to the insurance company. Mm -hmm. In fact, they think you're worth more than that because they're willing to pay that much, right? Yep. Now, okay, why is that important? It comes back to this to this very basic principle that that the value exists within the human life. And and that's the bottom line. Well, if you look, I mean, Dr. Paul, you you look at everything, right? Look at everything that's ever been created. Look at the microphones that we use. Look mm-hmm. at the computer, look at the sound Everything mm-hmm. was a result of human life value. All these things existed as an idea in the beginning. That's now think right. of how valuable that idea was and what that idea brought to the families mm-hmm. of those that created it, right? Mm-hmm. And so if that individual you know, were to die, think of the economic loss because of what he created. That's the purpose of life insurance. That's right. Yeah. So for those of us who are sitting here scratching our head and thinking, <laughs> okay, how's that going to help me to make more money? Would you like to respond to that, Patrick? Sure. Well, I think that there's, you know, there's no set answer to that question. It's all going to depend on the individual because uh, every individual has uh, human life value that has no limit. You and I, even though we understand the concept, maybe not 100%, uh, but we at least understand it to the point that we know that we can continue to develop that human life value, right? Yes. And individuals that are listening, I think the first and foremost thing to do is recognize that you have it. And then to right. keep that in the forefront of your mind and say, okay, how can I develop it? And then comes the question, how can I develop it to a point where it would be valuable to other people? And start offering it to them. Absolutely. You know, I had a discussion just yesterday with a good friend of mine who helped me to see that I don't get it yet. You know? And what a gift. <laughs> what a gift to be told that I'm clueless, yeah. basically. And and this this friend... Uh, made a referral, actually, for some of the the services that I do. Mm-hmm. And he told this person that he was referring me to, he told this person, hire him now before he understands what he's worth. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're going to get a killer deal, right? Huh? And it got me thinking. You know, the only thing that stops me sometimes from really having an economic impact is my own lack of understanding of the value of what I have to offer. I want you all to think about that for just a minute. Raising kids is one of the most challenging and rewarding experiences we can have in life. Your children didn't come with an owner's manual, so it's up to you to learn whatever will assist you in your role as a mom or a dad. Join me and my husband, Dr. Paul, for a free weekly discussion about all of the hot topics in parenting. Listen to what others are saying about these calls. By applying the things I've learned through the parental power calls, 
I'm finally becoming the mom I always thought I would be. I really like to use parental power as kind of like a reference book. So as I have concerns with my parenting, I like to be able to look up on the blog and then listen to whatever podcast seems closely related. So I like the variety of, of topics, the variety of age groups that are addressed. I'm on the parental power calls as often as I possibly can because I know I'm going to come away with something I can apply to being a parent that very day. Let us join your parenting team through parental power. Just send an email to Dr. Paul at liveonpurposeradio.com to register for the live calls. Or just check us out first through the link at drpaul.org. All of the previous calls are posted on our blog site, where you can also add your own input. Let's team up to start parenting on purpose. If the pile of books you want to read is growing faster than the pile you have read, then Abundant Reading Systems can help you. After taking Abundant Reading Systems course, I dramatically increased my ability to expand my knowledge in a much more efficient way. My fastest test today was in 7,000 words per minute. I highly recommend this program from what I've seen it do for other people who've been through the entire program and from what I've seen in myself today. I've teamed up with Abundant Reading Systems to offer a single-day intensive speed reading workshop that will at least double your reading speed, guaranteed. This belief started to grow inside of me that I thought, oh, I can really do this. I can read you know, as fast as I let myself read and uh, ended up doubling my time, my speed reading time, which was really good. This is David Hinton, founder of Abundant Reading Systems. I want to personally invite you to join us for our next event. Visit AbundantReadingSystems.com now. Abundant Reading Systems, reading at the speed of imagination. So, Patrick, we got one more segment here, and somehow we're going to pull all this together in a way that makes a lot of sense. And for me, I'm thinking, okay, if I'm stuck, if I'm having a hard time financially, what does that mean? Probably the thing that it means the most is, well, two things maybe. I'm lacking in knowledge and... I'm not creating enough value for other people. Well, I think that just saying that you have a difficulty, because most people, that's how they acknowledge their situation. But instead mm-hmm. of saying the word difficulty, I would just say the word opportunity. Because whenever these mm, events perfect. come up, I mean, you're meant to learn something. We're you know, in the school of earth, right? Mm-hmm. And these difficult times are the best learning experiences, even though they're Boy, hard. That's for sure. But, I mean, even though they're really hard and rippling and stressful, I mean, I think we've all experienced it to an extent. They're the most rewarding. Well, easy experiences do not have the power to remain in your memory. And they will not teach you anything. And that's just a true principle of life. And there was a time, Patrick, when I was kind of going along and thinking, well, I'm Dr. Paul. I know these principles. I shouldn't have to have a hard time, right? <laughs> like I'm some kind of special case or something. And then it's just, life kind of teaches you these lessons. No, you're not a special case. You get to go through adversity just like everybody else. And I want you listeners to know, I have my hard times. I'm still trying to figure things out just because I'm out here, you know, trying to share it with you as I'm doing it. Yeah. Uh, doesn't mean that I'm not having a struggle with that. And you haven't always known everything that you know. No. I mean, I, I have difficult times too, right? We, it, that's mm-hmm. just part of life. But right. I, think, I think I've discovered something. And, mm-hmm. and that's what's led to you know, what I know now. Because I didn't wake up one morning and say, you know, wow, banking and, and you know, investing here, investing there, and life insurance. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it, it, I just didn't wake up and suddenly know these things. No. It, it came about because... Uh, you know, we're we're in a period of time where there's been 
probably trillions of people that have lived before us. And guess what? They were trying to experience the same thing. They were trying they to had the same go ahead. They were trying to figure the same thing out. And guess what? A lot of them wrote, well, probably not a lot of them, but some of them wrote their experiences down, wrote down mm-hmm. their breakthroughs, recorded their breakthroughs, did books, did audio recordings, did you know videos. Mm-hmm. All of this information is at our fingertips. We live in an age where every solution to problems is probably on the internet somewhere. Right. right, and it's 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 incredible, mm-hmm. and so I don't think there's any excuses. I mean, with me, I've just found uh, I have this you know this tie to education, mm-hmm. uh, and it, mostly with me, it's audiobooks, and that's why I haven't come to your <laughs> your reading, your speed reading thing. Yeah, uh, it's I mean, I love listening to books. Um, I, I'm a, kind of a multitasker, so it's hard for me to sit down and read a book. But uh-huh. it's just listening and listening and listening and listening, and, and right. it's amazing. Fill up your head, fill up your mind, and that's what creates your paradigm. It's, well, where's it going to come from? <laughs> and we've been taught and trained to believe and think and, and understand the world in a certain way. And you led off with this today, Patrick, that, the, you know, we've got these traditional ways of thinking. I just, I so much appreciate my good friend, Garrett Gunderson, who I just had lunch with him yesterday. And he, he is flying. Yeah. He's on the New York Times bestseller list now with this Killing Am- Sacred yeah. Cows. That's his book. Yeah. Amazon, New York Times, USA Today. He's all he's all over the place. He's all over this, and it's because he's onto something. Mm-hmm. And what he's onto is let's give up some of our old ways of thinking about this in favor of something that's going to work. Mm-hmm. Do more of what works and less of what doesn't. Yep. And I highly recommend Garrett's book. We can put up another link to that on the show today too. I would too. I would recommend for, it too for Killing Sacred Cows. But and maybe this is a great time for you to share some of the other resources you're aware of. Sure, Patrick. What what other kinds of things would you steer people toward? What have you found to be helpful with your experience? Well, I think people just starting out more on the you know the elementary level is just you know Kiyosaki's books. Now, oh yeah, Robert. We had the we had the opportunity to meet the actual the actual rich dad. Uh, in Las Vegas this uh, this past summer, so for, you know a lot of people know that that is actual actually a fictional story, uh, the rich dad poor dad story, uh, but the principles are genuine and, and it's and it's awesome. Um, so the right. rich dad rich dad poor dad series, um, mm-hmm. I think start off with rich dad poor dad. Um, you know, they didn't get into cash flow quadrant and, you know, rich dad guides to investing, just go through, go through all of them. He has just an amazing way of conveying financial principles. And he, mm-hmm. is, you know, especially points out and, you know, knocks it out of the park as far as what a financial paradigm is. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's, that's kind of the first series that I would start out with. Um, the other, uh, kind of the philosophy that we subscribe to in financial planning is, uh, by Nelson Nash. So Nelson Nash, uh, developed what's called the, uh, the become your own banker. Now, I do think that there are some limitations to that system, um, mm. and I think that uh, individuals that, uh, like Kim Butler, who was one of Kiyosaki's first financial planners, I, I'm, not sure if oh, yeah. you, I'm not sure if you've ever met her before, but she's been on I, radio I, programs before. Yes, I know Kim. I've talked to her before. Yeah, she's great. She's amazing. And she's been able to marry uh, the infinite banking concept um, with a, a couple other financial uh, philosophies, uh, if you will. And so she's actually coming out with an ebook. Um, very soon, either this week or next week, and I've actually had the opportunity to read the ebook, wow. and it's and it's awesome. It is one of the best and most easiest ways and simplified ways to understand, uh, you know, financial planning. And so you can go to her website, which is uh, Partners, uh, the number four Prosperity Partners for Prosperity dot com. Mm-hmm. And then the last one, which really opened me up to uh, this whole idea of you know banks owning billions and billions and billions of dollars of life insurance, uh, cash value life insurance, uh, is Barry Dyke. Okay, so Barry is uh, actually a financial advisor in New Hampshire, uh, and I've had the opportunity to to talk with him a few times, and he knows Garrett Gunderson uh, Gunderson as well. Mm-hmm. But he has a book called The Pirates of Manhattan. <laughs> the Pirates of Manhattan. Little. Ca- a little controversial okay. title, but a uh, great book. And he spent years and years and years um, getting all the material for it. And so it's a uh, very informational book, and it really shows you, you know, how Wall Street works, how banking works, uh, and also how life insurance works and financial planning works. I, mm-hmm. I would really start with that. I think that'll give a really good foundation uh, to people. Oh, wow. Okay. So I've been keeping some notes here, and we'll put up some links on the on the site. This is a real process. You know what? I had a, I had an opportunity just recently to meet with Steve Down. I don't know if you know Steve. Minoas. We know Steve really well. Uh, yeah, he's, one of, he's one of the founders of Minoas. Mm-hmm. And you can go to minoas.com and get a little introduction to what Steve's doing. But uh, 
he's uh, he's provided me with some material to start going through as part of my education. Mm. And I've read a lot of what you've just referenced now. I'm going to get connected with some of the other things that you mentioned because I don't think he can have too much knowledge. No. But here's what I've learned as I've met with Steve and as I've started his program and as I'm looking at some of these other things. It is a process that requires a commitment. If I were to sign you up... Now, I went through a PhD program. Mm -hmm. And that was a lot of work. And I had to pay tuition. I had to buy books. I had to show up in class. I had to take my finals. Okay? I, I set aside five years of my life to do this. It was a huge commitment. What you're talking about is not something that you can do casually. I mean, you can, I suppose, but how how soon are you going to earn a PhD if you do it casually or on the side? How serious are you about getting the knowledge that's going to free you? And if you are serious about it, I want to suggest that you look at it as if you were enrolling in an, in a university course. Okay, it's there's a reading list. Mm-hmm. There are assignments to be done, and don't skip the assignments. You know, Vicky and I, as we're going through this program that Steve put together, he has assignments. And I have had, maybe you've done this in the past too, you know, you get the audio program and you listen to it in the car and they say, now, make sure you do this assignment before you listen to the next CD. I just pop in the next CD, you know, and keep rolling along. You got to do the assignments. And I tell my clients all the time, it's up to you. It's a choice. You can do the assignments or not do the assignments. It's up to you. But you know what also, Patrick? There's a lot of ways to get to Chicago. <laughs> you true. could walk. Yeah. Couldn't you? Yeah. Think you could get there? Yeah, eventually. <laughs> yeah. You could. You could ride a bike. Yep. You could take a car. You could take an airplane. How do you want to get there? So as you look at your situation right now and you analyze, okay, I'm stuck. Well, all right. That's an okay realization to come to. You need some knowledge, right? In, something is going to help you. The principles are are there. They exist. And the knowledge is abundant. How are you going to get... It's like Brian Regan. How am I going to get that goodness in me? <laughs> I don't know if you've heard that routine or not. No. But those of you who know Brian Regan are going to appreciate that. How am I going to get that into me? And it's going to require a commitment. Mm-hmm. So as you're rattling these things off, Patrick, I'm thinking, wow, this is quite a syllabus. And this is just starting. This is just scratching the surface. But I believe, too, that if you start with where you are and just do what you can do and do that, okay, you'll see the next steps to take. It's, there is no problem that is so big that you can't solve it by the proper application of the right principles. Well, every, every amazing thing in life uh, is not the most difficult thing or is the most difficult thing. I mean, if you look at marriage, marriage is an amazing thing. But it's oh, the most yeah. difficult relationship you'll ever have, uh-huh. right? But it's there's amazing rewards that you can experience in any other relationship. It's the same thing with this. I mean, most people, when it comes to money, want the lottery ticket. They want the quick fix. They want the rags mm-hmm. to riches overnight. Uh, that's just not how it works. Well, they think they want they that. They think they want that. But that's part of the deception. Yep. And so understanding that that's not how it works is big. Like you mm-hmm. said, forming you know forming habits is huge huge your system and your habits are what's going to lead to your wealth period mm-hmm. right and then establishing those the uh, you know the the nature of those habits have already been established you just need to adopt them from other people that have established them mm-hmm. and so start to discern what yep. works what doesn't yep and you can usually tell that what you're doing isn't working so great yeah. <laughs> right or maybe it is and there's some of you who are really catching on to this and to to you who have already figured this out find ways to share that with other people Because in doing so, you are creating more value for them, which will create more value for you in exchange. And often it comes in the form of money. That's just the receipts, like we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. So what are you willing to commit? And I want to bring this down to an action step or two. As you've been listening to us ramble on here today, and we've just been all over the place, (laughs) there's a lot of energy in this room. Uh, But as we have touched on a number of different things, I'm almost sure that something has struck a chord with you. What was it? 
What was it? Acknowledge that. That's the piece that you personally could benefit the most from. Acknowledge that and then identify the next physical step. What can you do next? Don't worry about knowing the whole course. You're not going to. But just take that next physical step. And that's another way to live on purpose. Patrick, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure, Paul. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been great. Want all of you to go out there and live on purpose and let us help you do that. Thanks. Thanks.